so this is like a weird story. The the girl who was my boss mm-hmm. when I was working at Cutco, um, you know, I'll respect her privacy. I won't say her name. Um, she <laughs> like disappeared literally. What? Yeah. What? So like a few months after, <laughs> um, a few months after I just, I had quit selling Cutco. I was still technically like capable of selling it. I just wasn't. Yeah. Sure. So um, somebody had called me and I can't remember if it was like I had put her down as a reference for a job or something, but someone called me and um, I was in like a Facebook group with like the people I worked with for Cutco. Nice. And there was, had been some posts saying, Hey, has anyone heard from blah, 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 our boss? Right. And everybody was like, no, what dude, she like ghosted. Whoa. Yeah. So then, um, somebody called and I was like, yeah, I haven't heard from my boss. I actually don't really know where she's at and I'm not really selling Cutco anymore. I'm really sorry. Dude. Dude, I'm not making any of this up. Welcome to These Are Words, a podcast where we are all about sharing stories and sharing experiences. My name is Asher. My name is Lance Asher. Yeah. I'm I'm Asher. And, and my you're... name is Lance Asher. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Logan is actually not here today, unfortunately, and uh, we do miss him dearly. But today we're going to be talking about adversity and rejection and rising above those things. So you feel good about this? Here we go. All right, Lance, you had some thoughts, some thoughts about death. Yeah, not, I don't, I don't not, remember... Not negative thoughts. Right. Not really. No. And that that's not to say that death doesn't like come with negative feelings. I so agree. to speak. Yeah. But I mean it it does for me, and I'll tell you why in a minute. That's fine. So well that's what I was gonna ask. Like the idea of death, like to me, is like it's something that happens, so it's almost more of a Let's make the most of most of it while we're here mentality. Mm-hmm. But for other people, it seems to be like they're so afraid of dying that they can't figure out how to live. Yeah, while yeah. they're here. So I, I and I'm I'm curious to know what other people's like mentality is because I'm not the only person on this planet. So yeah, I want to hear what Logan thinks about this too because for me. Um, let's back up just a little bit as um, Enneagram one. I've been digging into the subtypes and instincts and stuff mm-hmm. like that a whole lot. So I have consistently, at least on like online tests, and you can only trust those so much. I've sure. consistently scored Enneagram one with a sexual variant, mm-hmm. which feels weird on paper. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I was listening to a typology yep. podcast. We've uh, talked about a lot on here and he, uh, he described the, sexual variant as desiring like that one-on-one relationship like i'm Mm -hmm. very much extroverted but the way he set it up was like if you go to a party and you're the the sexual variant it's also called the one-on-one variant if you don't want to you know be weird about it (laughs) um if i go to a party i want to find the most interesting person there and talk to that person yeah like the whole time. Totally. And that is absolutely true. Translates to teaching for me as well. I love one-on-one time mm-hmm. teaching someone because I can make sure that they can ask any questions that they want to ask. I can, you know, I'm not trying to like give a talk to 
ten thousand people or something. Right. I would much rather be one on one and make sure like when we leave this conversation, you understand me, you understand that I have like good intentions, you know, things like that. And then there's the social variant, which if you went to that same party, you would just want to mingle with everybody. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure that's that's where I That's you. Yeah. I thought so. Yeah. <laughs> that's funny. And then the other one is self-preservation, which I think kind of speaks for itself, but I'm digging into that one a little bit more lately. Cause I think I see that in in some people in my life and I just want to know more about it. Totally. Yeah, I haven't I haven't learned a whole lot about the subtypes yet, but I have listened to a little bit of stuff on topology and mm-hmm. um this so we another podcast that Asher and I both listen to a lot is uh the Sleeping at Last podcast. If you're not familiar with Sleeping at Last, you're wrong. No, it's um, so good. He's amazing. His name is Ryan O'Neill, and he's been making music under the name Sleeping at Last for several years now and he has a podcast where he kind of breaks down a lot of the songs that he's writing and he's doing a project right now where he's writing a song from the perspective of each of the nine Enneagram types. And then uh, during that podcast, he'll break down why he made certain choices and creating the song and the lyrics and stuff like that. But he has a, a friend of his named Chris Hewitts who is just so mesmerizing to listen to for he's, me. I could listen great. to him talk all day long. He wrote the book, The Sacred Enneagram. Yes. And um, so... In the episode that for the Type 5 song, because the Type 5 is the intellectual type, he was like, hey, why don't you kind of dive deeper into the subtypes and stuff like that? And mm-hmm. so that was like the first time I'd listened to somebody like talk about it. Yeah. So I haven't I haven't done a whole lot of digging yet, but... Um, yeah, that's really interesting to me too. Like uh, on typology, they don't dive into the subtypes very much. They are recently because they've done a full year and they're kind of in their uh, season two phase right now. Right. But um, it seems like that's where, well, it seems like typology is set up to where you can kind of discover more about your specific number that you identify with. Yeah. But the real helpfulness and the real work involved with the Enneagram is like digging into subtypes and learning like, oh, I, I have this habit. I don't like that or that's like not a good thing or something. And, you know, uh, this is the one speaking. So I want to improve everything about myself <laughs> and everyone around me. So, <laughs> right. Uh, it's, the Enneagram is so crazy. If, if anybody is listening to this episode and, and you're not familiar with it, it, it's a, it's an assessment that would be similar to Myers-Briggs or something of that nature, but it's, it's less, um, it's it's less like personality based and more character based or or like mm-hmm. your instinctual motivations like what what gets you out of bed or what keeps you in bed kind of stuff and how you view the world and life and relationships and um there's online tests everywhere you can take and obviously it's an online test so yeah take so. it with a grain of salt but um well, the way I heard that described, like to try and identify your type is to read through all of them and figure out which one hurts the most. Totally. Like, oh, I, I gave that same <laughs> advice to somebody the other day yeah. who had never taken the test, and she um, she took it, and then she said the test I took told me that I was closely split between type one and type four. So then I read all the nine descriptions. Oh, that's a great idea. And she's like, I feel way more like a four after reading that. Wow. And I yeah. was like, so then call yourself a four. Yeah. Um. And I, I guessed two before she told me what she was, and I yeah. guessed either four or one. <laughs> you know, it, it sucks that it's so much fun to guess people's types, it and is. it's so faux pas to actually say like I think you're this type. Yeah, like, p- 
people who are deep into the Enneagram are like, please don't do that. I know. It's, and I, I can't stop, though. No, like, me neither. Every time I talk to somebody about it who hasn't taken the test, I'm like, oh, take it. But before you tell me what it is, let me guess. Yeah. And I'm, I've, I've been pretty close most of the time. Yeah. There's only been a handful of people that surprised me. But I think you have to know, like, you have to know somebody, like, pretty well. Yeah, I think so too. It's it's pretty it would be it would be difficult to get somebody just like the on the first meeting. Sure. Unless they're just really obviously exhibiting some qualities that would like yeah. characterize one type uh particularly. I think that would be really unkind too to just be like, Hey, we just met. I want to figure out what we you know, personality yeah. type you are or something. Totally. Um so as you said something a second ago that really hit home for me, uh the th- it, it helps you figure out the things that get you out of bed and the things that would keep you in bed. Okay, so back to death for a second, or for a while, whatever. Um, death is something that would keep me in bed, but not because, if if I'm understanding your analogy correctly, it's something that would keep me in bed, but not because I'm fearful of it. I'm fearful of getting to the end of my life and thinking, well, I didn't, like teach people well, like Mm. I didn't do enough to improve everyone around me and improve myself and things like that to the point where it's like, if I go down that rabbit trail of thinking, it'll be debilitating and I'll get depressed and just like lay in bed and think, well, there's no point in actually doing anything today because I'll never actually (laughs) get all of that done. Yeah. And, and even, I mean, I can only assume that like, there has to be some part of you eventually that would be like, that's probably not true. And then I get up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But it's five but that, minutes. But that's easier said than done. I mean. Yeah, absolutely. You know, learning learning to recognize that conversation with yourself. Yeah. I think is something that the Enneagram is super beneficial for. Right. Because you can start to learn how to recognize those thoughts and then it becomes easier to say to yourself, that's not right. You mm-hmm. know. So, and every type has you know, a different kind of uh, mediation with themselves, which right. is really interesting. But yeah, yeah, that's so that's so interesting that I I don't even know I don't even know like what words I'm trying to use to say what I'm saying. <laughs> I just think that like it's so uh, taboo almost to talk about death just in the generic concept of it. Yeah, and I'm not. I mean, I, part of me thinks that maybe if 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 it was more of an open conversation, that that people would um, would learn to accept it easier. Yeah, and not like welcome it. I'm not saying like I want to die or I'm ready to die. I don't think I could say either of those things. But I am saying that like I'm aware that I'm going to. Totally. <laughs> you know. So like. Um. I might as well do what I can while I'm here. Yeah. You know? And yeah, yeah. I think there, I mean, there um, there are pros and cons to that mentality. Sure. I mean, like some people would take that as raise as much hell as you can while you're here, <laughs> you know? Like, and that's yeah. not what I'm saying at let's, all. Let's party. Yeah. <laughs> you only get one life, man. Let's just drink it up. I don't think that, yeah, that's not what I mean at all. I, I just think that, um, you know, that, the awareness of of your life coming to an end, um, I think it can inspire you to live a great one, and that that's what I would hope that like the notion of death would bring about to people. But 
obviously, like I said, I, no, not everybody shares that mentality. Yeah, I think I think more people are either fearful of it or you know, um, like maybe they don't know they don't know what's going to happen or they don't want to deal with pain or something like that. And mm-hmm. it's just, let's just not talk about it. Yeah. It's not, it's not worth delving into. And that's like, I, I get it. I get that, but it's not healthy at the end of the day to, mm-hmm. to have something like that, that weighs so heavily on you yeah. and not be willing to talk about it. Yeah. Um, I mean, you could, you can make that argument for any topic of, of, of heaviness, but especially one that's so sure as death. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like that's literally one thing, you know, is going to happen. Like, Let's let's figure out a way to talk about it. Um, but that that kind of brings us around to the theme of this episode, which was um, adversity or rejection or rising above that. Mm-hmm. You know, for me, death is is a pretty obvious obstacle that I've I've experienced, and obviously, not everybody has come across it the way that I have. Um, but you know, so I, I lost my dad when I was ten, and. Um, Learn, learning how to to be a human being after after something like that is is weird yeah you know because like when you're when you're that young your your parents are your identity yeah like you don't you don't really consider yourself like lance yet it's like i am lance the son of yeah. <laughs> of larry and jackie <laughs> so you know i i had a lot of um I had a lot of stuff that I, you know, to figure out and, um, you know, being the, the type nine peacemaker type, I, I think that I was already that before my dad passed away. Interesting. I really do. Cause even when I was just a kid, I, I remember, I even remember moments like being on the playground and like playing intermediary between kids that were fighting like that. <laughs> it, 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 it bothered me when people were uh, at odds with each other, even right. when I was that young. I think part of that was how I was raised. My parents were very um were very kind. They were very affectionate. They were very peaceful people. Yeah. Yeah. Um and so, you know, but my dad passing away, I think could have either slung me in one direction or the other. Yeah. And I think it pushed me into more of a you know, life life is precious and we you know, we don't know exactly what's going to happen, but let's like while we're all here, let's share the earth and be friends. Gosh, that's Which, really cool. Like for a lot of people to hear too, even people who haven't dealt with death. What do you think the other direction could have been? Um, I think the other direction would have been life is cruel, mm-hmm. so don't expect too much. Wow. Yeah. So I I think it could have made me a very um, hardened, um, maybe even like a mean person i don't know if i could have ever been mean to be honest with you (laughs) (laughs) um but you know i i think it could have made it did make me very calloused i'm not i'm not gonna sit here and say that um i didn't experience a lot of of pain and and heartache uh because of that situation yeah i very much did and i've I've talked about that before you know i I was very depressed for a long time and um it would I think the the hardest part about that whole situation really was was learning how to ask the right questions about it. Mm-hmm. Because it doesn't really matter how old you are. When somebody close to you dies, your your immediate question is like, "Why would God allow something like this to happen?" Right. Which, if for if you believe in God, um, and sometimes even if you don't, 
<laughs> you know, pe- people tend to ask God questions even when they don't believe in him when something bad happens. Um, and so I think the, the question became, how, how do I find the goodness of God in a tragic situation? Mm-hmm. But I didn't, I didn't get to that question until years later. I mean, with, within the yeah. last six or seven. Yeah, yeah. So as a 10-year-old, and your, your 10-year-old brain can only understand so much. So like my life was literally perfect until that moment. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, because yeah. I didn't know any better. Ah, uh, we should talk about that sometime. I mean, you're you're kind of addressing <laughs> it right now, but that moment where you realize you're losing innocence, like, yeah. that's crazy, and that's where I think and it, it went so fast. Yeah, that's where I think Enneagram can be helpful later in life and stuff because you can look back on those like the childhood wound, as they say, and right. stuff like that. So, yeah, please, crazy. please continue. <laughs> so, yeah, well, so it, uh, you know, I, I, I didn't, I never wanted for anything. I had I had the stereotypical uh perfect life of a 10-year-old. Sure. So so for something so catastrophic to happen it 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 wasn't something that I could make sense of as a 10-year-old. Yeah. Um and I you know my my mom took us to to some grief counseling and it it just either either it wasn't the right time or it wasn't the right person. I'm not really sure which. Mm-hmm. Um I do think that counseling and therapy is extremely helpful it just wasn't then um so so you know i i you know i grew up for the next few years just like i did kind of have that life sucks don't expect too much mentality <laughs> yeah for, for several years like like well who who the heck knows what else is bad is going to happen you right. know like how do i how do i reconcile the the goodness of the god that people are telling me about um because i we've talked about like i we grew up in church sure so yeah. like people are always talking about how good God is and we sing songs about how good God is and all I can think about is, well, my dad died. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, I would go to church and think that, like, I can't... Well, what's good in that? Yeah. There isn't anything good in that. No. And and that's what I had to learn was that the situation itself doesn't is not where the the goodness or the badness even comes from. Yeah. Life is life and things are going to happen the way they happen because that's the way things are. I think right. that... The goodness of God is is the sustenance of the rest of your life. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, yeah. you know. So and it, I I remember I know that this happened or I knew that this was happening um, when it happened, but it didn't mean anything until later. But people accepted Jesus as their savior at my dad's funeral service. What? Which, yeah, which is freaking wild. Yeah, like that's not a normal <laughs> thing that happens. And at the time, that gave me no closure. Yeah. I, I didn't care. No, I would it. Yeah, I mean, I was ten, like, yeah, you know, whatever. So, but later in life, I, you know, I, that be, that became something that I I rested in and was like, you know, God brought God brought about something good, but it was for someone else, mm-hmm. and I have to, I had to learn that the the happiness and the joy and the eternal joy of other people is something that I can gain just as much satisfaction in as I can for myself. Yeah. So so when someone else is is happy and joyful, that brings me happiness and joy. And I think that's kind of that mentality has what it has been what got me to this person. Mhm. Mm-hmm. Um which is not a lesson that's easily learned. <laughs> yeah, absolutely not. <laughs> um and there's been a million other uh you know roadblocks and challenges in in that journey since then. Yeah. Um over 14 years ago now and 
like that. I don't know. It's there's just different. There's different phases of it, you know. So mm-hmm. like the first phase was that was kind of, that was my identity. Right. Lance is the kid whose dad died. Like I would go to school and like people probably weren't thinking about it as often as I was. Yeah. Yeah. But I thought they were. Yeah. I didn't want to be the weird kid whose dad died. <laughs> yeah. You know, I didn't want to be the 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 poor sad boy. Um, and and then, um. And then I would just like, now I'm trying to figure out how to be a man. And anytime I didn't feel like a man, my excuse was, oh, well, my dad died. Right. So like, okay. I'm, so then it was like blaming and I couldn't figure out who to blame. I'm not going to blame my dad. Right. You know, but then I'm like, well, if, if God is, is who I think he is, then I guess it makes sense to blame God. Hmm. Um, and you know, this, this probably isn't like purely theological, but like, I don't, whether or not God allowed it or caused it doesn't really make a difference to me. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Semantics at that yeah, point, it, right? Yeah, it happened. Yeah. So if God is sovereign and if I'm to believe that everything that God does is to, to glorify himself and to work to my benefit, then even if I don't see the immediacy of that situation, uh, I will eventually, which is what I learned later. Yeah. Not in that moment, though. So... That brings me to a question because, um, you know, I grew up hearing people say things like everything happens for a reason. And I absolutely hate that phrase, first of all, because I, th- I don't think that some things happen for no reason, but I think it's a useless phrase to say to anybody in any, you know, walk of life or any totally. season of life or something. Did anyone say that to you? I really hope they didn't. I'm not asking, like, <laughs> trying to yeah. be a leading question. No, it's but. okay. I, I really don't remember. Yeah. I'm sure somebody did. It, I, it's just so, again, it just feels so useless. I remember people saying things like, um, God is God is going to use this. Like, to saying that to me. Yeah. Like, God is going to use this for you. I think even that. I like, really just wanted to say, please don't talk to me. Yeah, like, <laughs> screw you. Like, yeah. how is that helpful? It's not, yeah, don't don't say anything. Keep like, it to you're yourself. Here, just, I'm glad you're here, but, like, there's nothing you can say to me right now that's going to help. Yeah. So it's okay for you to just look at me and smile. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, give me, give me a hug. Yeah. Give me a high five. And I don't fault people for that. Nobody knows what to do. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, like, it's, it's a weird situation. Nobody knows. Everybody's just trying to help. Yeah. They're just trying to be yeah. nice. So it's not like they could have made it any worse. <laughs> but I think, you know, here's where I would differ in my thinking from what you just said. Yeah. I think they can do something to help. And it's just either do, either be there and don't feel the need to say something. Cause I think people that feel the need to say something, think that they're helping and they're the kind of person who always thinks that they need to help and they're not actually helpful. Yeah. So I think what people could do in that situation is ask a question and be like, Hey, uh, like what can I do or what do you need? And if those are like two pointed, just say, Hey, do you want to hang out? Like, Hey, do you need some normal right now? That's, that is, <laughs> that is the, that is golden wisdom right there. Just ask. Yeah. Just a so. simple question. Because the the weirdest thing about that, you know, when when someone in your family passes away is that, like, everyone's there for, like, a week. Yeah. And then no one's there. 
Yeah, and so like, if we could if worst. we could find a way to spread that out a little bit, that'd be <laughs> super helpful. Yeah, I mean, I, I wish. And people... that's not to say that we were totally abandoned. Sure, sure, obviously we had people close to us, but it was like, um, you know, like we had a million people around for mm-hmm. like three days, and then it slowly fizzled out, and then like a month later, yeah, like that. That's when no one knows what to say, <laughs> right? Because then they're like, well, "Do I ask about it? Do I not mention it?" like yeah ask about it like they, my dad was a real person that really existed like i, I remember <laughs> him you can ask about it yeah i don't obviously obviously i don't have a problem talking about it now yeah um but it you know it didn't it it, it did it took me several years to to figure out how to talk about it sure sure and i i had to really you know process a lot of emotion and um but i just think i think like in in the in the vein of overcoming adversity, like I, I didn't always see my dad dying as adversity or something, or I didn't always see it as an opportunity for me to become a better person. Okay. I mostly always saw it as a, a stain on my memory of childhood. Gotcha. So it was, I mean, it's only been within the last, like I said, six or seven years that I've been able to, think differently about that situation and think about, okay, well, you know, the things I do remember about my dad are literally only good things. Mm -hmm. So like, at least I have that to kind of capitalize on. Right. I I know certain things to do and not do in marriage because of the things that I know my dad did or didn't do. Right. Um, And then also just like, I won't be the only person who, whose dad dies. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't, you know, we've talked about this on the podcast yeah. too. Like, you know, Logan's dad passed away and then our really close friend, Tyler Stukesbury lost his dad as well within a couple months of each other. And it wasn't probably until that moment that I realized that like I could use what happened to me to help other people, mm-hmm. but that doesn't mean that it didn't hurt. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's just part of it. Um, But it did, it did help bring me some some peace knowing that i was able to be there for my friends in a way that i would never have been able to right so but also like i wouldn't say that it happened to you for the reason or for the purpose of being a comfort later sure like not directly you know that that's why i was what i was harping on a minute ago when people say like hey everything happens for a reason like right it may not have yeah, just piss off. <laughs> but that doesn't mean that you can't use it as an opportunity for good. Yeah, yeah, so. totally. So what, like, if if we were sticking on adversity and yeah, yeah, um, what's what's been like one thing in your adult life that you you felt was kind of like a a hurdle or something to overcome? Yeah, totally. Well, I mean, we've talked a little bit about church, and I won't go too deep into it necessarily because, uh, you know, with the mentors thing, I <laughs> I crept on like all of my small group leaders <laughs> for only being there for maybe a year and then kind of splitting after that. Um, and just so you know, it, anyone who's out there who does want to be a leader for a young person like that, I know there are studies that show like it takes at least a year to build some rapport with someone and actually like have that relationship there. So anyway, whatever. Um, I think from that experience, you know, I left the church where we grew up and that was overall, I would say a bad experience, especially toward the end. So after that, I wasn't necessarily like 
going to church or even pursuing a higher power or looking for God or Jesus or anything like that. But um, what it taught me was that all those questions I asked when I was at the church where we grew up that weren't answered thoroughly or that were met with like, oh, you just need to read the Bible more or you need to believe harder (laughs) or better or something or just be better. Um, It definitely caused me to want to be like a better person in those areas. And when other people would ask me like, Hey, like why, why is church the way it is? Church is freaking weird. Yeah. Like I work at a church now. It's a weird place. Totally. (laughs) It's a strange, it's a strange business. Um, It's a, it's just weird. So for sure. I think the adversity for me was growing up in a place where I asked a lot of uh, why questions, like, like, why do we do this? Why do we do that? You know, what's up with this Bible? That's a crazy book. Totally. <laughs> and the, a lot of the leadership that I encountered there, at least, and hopefully your experience was different, I don't know. Um, a lot of the leadership I encountered there was, was just like, you need to do better. Like, you need to believe it just because. Dang. Yeah, that sucks. Yeah. But, um, you know, like that's adversity to me as a as a white male in <laughs> in West Knoxville ish. Um, it just caused me to to want to rise above that and be someone that people can depend on to say things like, hey, I don't know. I'm going to be honest with you. Like I'm searching for God. I'm searching for Jesus. I'm reading the Bible. And yeah, it's there's a lot of effed up stuff in there that I that I don't understand. Sure. And I want to I wanna just live life with you instead of being the kind of person that's going to say, I'm better than you because I've read it. <laughs> or because I believe it and you don't. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah that, Absolutely. That sucks. So. That is really interesting. Yeah. This has been really good therapy for me to like get all of that <laughs> off my chest for like a couple of podcasts. So I agree. I, appre- I appreciate anyone who has listened to it. And I know there are a lot of people in my life who would um, who would agree with that or who can at least identify that they grew up in a church where it was like, you know, my questions didn't get answered yeah, or they were answered and I felt small because of the answer or something. So I think that that is one thing that I I do wish somebody would have said when I was a kid growing Mm -hmm. up in church was like just one time I just needed a pastor to say, you know what? This is pretty weird. <laughs> yeah. Like just just acknowledge just admit it. <laughs> because it doesn't change the validity or the uh the power of it to me how weird it is or not weird or whatever. It's weird. Just say it. It's yeah. okay. Yeah. Like just acknowledge that what we're doing is pretty unusual. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> it's it doesn't change anything for me. Yeah. I think that goes for any like any leadership role or any time that you have influence with someone else. And they ask you a question like, the more that you can say, hey, I don't know, but I want to discover it with you. We talked about that on the the Mentors episode. 100% so, yeah. for sure. So that was that was some big adversity and um, rejection is another word that we've been, that we threw around, you uh-huh. know, kind of leading up to this podcast. Like, I felt rejected <clears throat> by those people who right. said, well, this is just how it works around here. And... <laughs> Like that, that was literally said to me. Someone who was in leadership, who was actually uh, my small group leader, literally said, You need to go check out other churches. 
Isn't that crazy? Because you were asking why questions about why because they did things. I was did. asking why questions. I was a smart Alec. I'll admit that. Like yeah. I was being a jerk about it. Sure. But I also really wanted understanding. Yeah. And this person said, you need to go see how it works at other churches. Jeez. Like, maybe he meant it as a research assignment. Like, hey, it's kind of like this everywhere, and we don't get it. But he definitely didn't say that. Right. <laughs> that, like, that would have been helpful. Like, hey, there are a lot of, uh, you know, there are a lot of churches and organizations around, and, like, we all don't have it figured out. But that's not the way it came across. It came yeah. across as, like, this is just how it is. You got to get used to it. Yeah. Oh, that's such a terrible answer. Yeah. That's Goodness scary. Gracious. Real scary. So, um so in a, in a slightly different vein, um, the yeah, other... we can we can take it more pause from here, like <laughs> super positive. Yeah, this, from this, here. this will definitely be more positive. <laughs> the death thing that came out of how did why did I even bring it up? Do you remember? I don't. What death? Yeah. No, I don't know. <laughs> I'm glad though. It's a real thing. It's a great I'd, conversation. I agree with you. I do wish more people could at least talk about it, or you know, I want us to be the kind of people where where others can be like, hey, death is scary. It's yeah, weird. <laughs> like, let's talk about I am, it. I am becoming increasingly convinced that conversation, like face-to-face conversation is what's going to fix our world, if mm-hmm. it can be. Yeah. If like, if be. something is going to work, it's going to be sitting down in a room and talking about it. Yeah. Um, we can expound on that another time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um. But so, okay, so in a slightly different vein, as far as like overcoming adversity and even rejection. Sure. Um, working like in a job yeah. is bizarre. Uh-huh. Because <laughs> there are so many different types of people in the world that we don't all experience everything the same way. And, ex- and le- learning how to communicate sideways and upwards, and by that I mean like, colleague to colleague yeah. and colleague to boss. Right, right. Like is it's 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 weird. And every job is different. So, you know, for example, I the first job I ever had, well, I would consider it the first real job. <laughs> we we did sell knives at one point to people. Oh my gosh. Cutco. I didn't know that that was your first like foray into business and that, that sales was literally and things like that. The first actual job that I ever had was Cutco, selling yeah. knives to people. Because for me, it was Chick-fil-A, and then I worked as a janitor maintenance man at the same church I've been talking about, which was an equally terrible experience. And then I tried to sell Cutco for two months. Yeah, that's probably about as long as I did it. Too. Really? Yeah, but I, I quickly realized I don't actually have to sell anything to make money. <laughs> yeah. So I just would set up the meeting with people saying that, like, you don't have to buy anything. Yeah. I will still make money. Right. And if you do, I'll just make more. So right. it's fine either way. That's awesome. And a handful of the people I'd talk to did buy stuff. Just not like a... That nobody nobody placed like a huge order. Did they actually pay you the money though? Like this is where Cutco got sketchy for me. They wouldn't necessarily always like <laughs> pay that... I don't that, remember. I probably that, wasn't paying attention. The per <laughs> appointment wage that we were supposed to make was right. kind of... I'll say iffy. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. <laughs> Great knives, though. Well, Great the, knives. So this is like a weird story. The The girl who was my boss mm-hmm. when I was working at Cutco, um, you know, I'll respect her privacy. I won't say her name. Um, she, <laughs> like, disappeared, literally. What? Yeah. What? So, like, a few months after 
Um, a few months after I just, I had quit selling Cutco, I was still technically like capable of selling it. I just wasn't. Yeah, sure. So, um, somebody had called me and I can't remember if it was like I had put her down as a reference for a job or something, but someone called me and, um, I was in like a Facebook group with like the people I worked with for Cutco. Nice. And there was had been some posts saying, "Hey, has anyone heard from blah our, blah blah our boss?" Right. And everybody was like, "No." What, dude? She like ghosted. Whoa. Yeah. So then, um, somebody called and I was like, "Yeah, I haven't heard from my boss. I actually don't really know where she's at, and I'm not really selling Cutco anymore. I'm really sorry, dude. Dude, I'm not making any of this up." So then a couple of months later... Right um, after this, we're going to look her up and like see if well, she's... I did. I, oh, okay. I okay. looked her up on Facebook and she, had, <laughs> she hadn't posted anything in like several months. And then she had just recently posted a picture of her and some guy in Texas. So oh. I think she just like up and left and moved to Texas with a dude. I don't know. It was crazy, man. You know, that's a hilarious thing about <laughs> Cutco too. Like you can... <laughs> you can do <laughs> among all the other things <laughs> <laughs> well the two things i think are hilarious are that you can do the business really well you can make a ton of money oh god i do yeah. not recommend no <laughs> like you, oh, you have to like sell your soul yeah it, like, it has to be the only thing that you do yeah. and your friends will hate you mm -hmm. but if you rise up in that company like i i talked to people and they showed me their paychecks they made freaking oh bank. yeah dude. yeah but you can also peace and like yeah. take your knives with you you paid for them and like never do anything with it again case in point well this gets a little sketchy but like <laughs> a guy that i worked with who i also grew up with in uh, middle school high school he tried selling his knives on ebay and oh, cutco you, you can't do that dude they caught him within yeah. two minutes i was watching it like yep. he posted them up there bid started coming in and then he got an email and was like hey you you have like like if you if you keep that up there and if you do any more kind of business like this or you know non-business like this like we have to revoke your sole proprietorship with cutco yeah yeah you they're they're crazy about that stuff <clears throat> you can't sell it like secondhand but it's still not really a consequence it's just like you're not allowed to sell them anymore which right. you probably weren't going to anyway exactly so, like do whatever you want yeah i the craziest what a, business. What a weird, like, weird time in my life, man. And, and there are way worse, like multi-level marketing yeah. schemes out there. But it's just so funny that we both did that at different points in life. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we, we both got roped in. Did you know what it was when you went in for the interview? Okay, uh, I'll tell you. Like, because I didn't ask any questions. No, I went into it. I didn't really ask any questions either. It, that first meeting was so strange. Like. I think people need to hear about this kind of stuff, <laughs> and hopefully it's a good cautionary tale. I went yeah. into that meeting because a friend of mine told me about it. Yep. It was about an hour, and this guy, you know, basically said... An hour? Yeah, it was an hour. Oh, my god! Like an hour of him kind of like going through the pitch and saying like, hey, the purpose of you being here is you're going to sell these knives to your friends and family. Um, didn't go too deep into it, but it was basically like at the end of it, hey, you have to pay $70 for this basic set of knives and you get to keep them like forever. And you use these to do your, your own sales pitch. 
And it was a bunch, like out of that hour, 45 minutes of it was how much money you can make. (laughs) (laughs) This girl walked out in the middle of it and the guy doing the presentation was like, yeah, you should get out of here. Because she just was just like pissy the whole time. It was so funny. But to your, to the question that I think you're asking me, I did not understand (laughs) what was going on or what I was getting into. Like (laughs) I, I was pretty sold on the whole, like, Hey, let's make money kind of totally. thing I really, they did it so well yes that's dude i was like fired up yeah I was like, oh my gosh i can make a million dollars right let's go yeah and i didn't no absolutely <laughs> not oh my gosh i so, even did you go to any of the conferences yeah i went to one i went to two and they're crazy they were crazy they were a blast i didn't drink at the time which was really good i was a good little churchy christian boy yeah. at the time and dude everybody else got Poop faced. Oh my god. Plastered the whole time. <laughs> I wasn't old enough to drink, so it wouldn't have mattered, but yeah. I don't remember anybody in my group drinking. I can't remember. Um do you remember Spencer Prieto? No. He went to Grace. Oh, he, okay. He would be probably two years maybe he, younger than you. He, he do cut co. Yeah, he went well he was he the reason you got me. into it? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And I got a phone call. It's like, hey, your friend Spencer Prieto has referred you for this job. I was like, go on (laughs) i was like okay this sounds great (laughs) yeah brush up my ego let's go um yeah and then i so i i went in for the interview thinking i all i heard was that you could make 14 dollars an hour and make your own make your own schedule man that was the pitch to me yeah oh yeah i forgot about that make your own schedule like you can work whenever you want serious yeah 14 bucks an hour i can work whenever i want it was 12 when i did it because you know we're five six years apart right right right. (laughs) you have to adjust for inflation sure sure. um so so that's all i knew and i went in and i did the interview and i was like all right and they didn't make me buy any knives i didn't have any. what Mm -mm. i didn't i i never bought any i never had them did you get to borrow some for the pitch yeah oh okay so there was like uh there was like a couple of kits that like were kept at the office and anytime you Man. had you could like swing by grab them do your pitches and just bring them back dude like so. that was the best part I, first of all i made a thousand dollars in two months doing that stuff like That's you way you, more than i made you actually can make money yeah um and i got to keep all the knives i still use them every day they're great knives i know this sounds like we're pitching the company we are not <laughs> don't do it <laughs> please don't do it I did get a call about um, probably two or three years after I did, uh, after I quit selling Cutco. Yeah. Somebody had referred me. Trying to get, oh, someone else had referred you. Yeah, but they said, um, your friend, I can't remember who it was, has has listed you uh, or referred you to this job with Vector Marketing. And I was like, "Eh, Mm. (laughs) I know this job. No. That's really funny. (laughs) Because after you know quitting i kind of fizzled out i never really said like hey i'm gonna stop me, doing me this too. i just me quit too. going to the office i quit setting up appointments whatever um but people on uh ut campus over here would hand out little cards they were business card size super glossy like they looked great mm-hmm. and it was like make you know 12 14 an hour um make your own schedule and no other information not just a number to call and people would be handing those out, and I would walk up to him and oh say, I know what you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> I would skip class to like uh, go and just get I in their face and be doing. like, I know what that work. is. It's vector marketing. It's a scam. And they would just be like, uh, uh, uh. <laughs> so, um, so Stukes, 
uh, our friend that I mentioned a few minutes ago, mm-hmm. um, he, he was referred by the same guy that referred me. <laughs> and so Stukes went. <laughs> this is, I would this love, is the most Stukes thing ever. I would love for he Tyler drove, Stukesbury to pitch me <laughs> on Cutco. Anyway, please continue. He, he drove to where the office was. And he said he sat in his car for 10 minutes and it looked so shady that he just turned around and went back home. Oh, yeah. And then he Googled vector marketing and read all this terrible stuff. And, and then uh, he called me and told me about it all. And I think I think I had already done my interview at that yeah. point. And I was like, well, I mean, I did the interview. It seemed okay. So I'm just going to see what happened. <laughs> he was like freaking out like, yeah. dude, you're going to like. I don't know what like, he. I don't actu- know what he thought was going to happen. Actually, like sell your soul, kidnapped or something. But right. Um. Oh uh, yeah, he said he just drove up, said, mm, "I had, I'm not going to do it," and he just left. That's so funny. <laughs> Gosh, that's so, that's so funny. Uh, so okay. Anyways, what what I was going to say. Um. How are we doing on time? Are we okay? Yeah, we're good. Okay. Let's uh let's hear this. We'll take a break and then come back and Wrap probably up. just share like one more. Yeah. Yeah. So um so. Working in a job <laughs> is is unusual, and so I um like I, I mentioned, you know, I, I grew up in the upper middle class suburban white Southern family, like mm-hmm. like as about a stereotype as you could picture it. Nuclear, yeah, and so I didn't work hard for anything <laughs> ever. Yeah, so and. I, this makes me sound like such a jerk and I don't mean it this way. Like I never really had to. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like I just, school came pretty, pretty easily for the most part. And then it started getting really hard. And then, um, you know, I just kind of did whatever I wanted to. It was whatever. And I mm-hmm. didn't have to work for anything. I didn't yeah. want for anything. Um, you know, my, my mom's taught me, you know, like responsibility and I had chores to do around the house and like the little things that build character when you're young. Like yeah. I had that, but, um, when I so my first real job aside from the whole horrible thing that we just <laughs> talked about was working at the Regal movie theater at West Ham Mall, which oh, uh, I forgot about that. Yeah, and and I could have seen so many free movies, and I never took advantage of that. You sure didn't. That's you how much I care about you. you as a friend, and also just didn't want to go see a movie. I, I guess. got three I don't know. free tickets per day. Yeah, like I saw I saw more movies that year than I'll ever see. Um, but anyway, so like. That was like my first real experience with with a job, and I learned a lot through that. And I, I think I learned how to uh, accomplish a task. Yeah, <laughs> you know, because I, you know, I just did, I I just always did whatever I wanted to do, and so um, you know, I had to I had to really I had the the biggest lesson I learned from that job was learning how to encourage myself to do something that I didn't want to do. Mm. which I think is a huge, huge life lesson. Yeah. And has certainly come back to uh, to remind me <laughs> yeah. several times since then. But because that that's a that's a weird job, man. Like, you think that people come to the movies because they want to enjoy a nice evening, and they might, but people are mean for no reason. Like, in what way? Like, if you don't get their popcorn fast enough, like, they <laughs> say mean things to you. <laughs> Um, I cleaned up some despicable things uh, in the theaters, out of the theaters, in the bathroom. Just, oh my gosh. It was, it it's insane the kind of ridiculous things that go on at, at, at a minimum wage job like that. Um, I, I like, I, 
I want to know and I definitely don't want to know. It's as bad as you think. Okay. So that's what I was afraid of. Yeah, exactly. Um, so <laughs> it's just a weird job, man. And um, but you know, it, it was very character building for me to to learn how to sell myself on on doing something that I didn't want to do. Um and then I was fortunate enough to get an internship, a paid internship at Faith Promise, which yeah. is how I got there. And that's the church I work at now. Um, and this was, uh, co- well, yeah, it was about three and a half years ago now. Um, and I, even though I, I had learned that lesson at Regal, I didn't completely learn it because it was, it, it's, it's such, I mean, that job is just full of menial tasks. Like, you know, like, oh, I, I see. Yeah. Just yeah. sweeping up popcorn. Like you can convince yourself to do it. You know, well, I would then, equate it to, you know, working at Chick-fil-A for me was that's menial task after menial task, right. even, even in management. Like you start, you know, managing people a little bit and scheduling, but it's also like, it's, it's a restaurant. It's like, yeah. it's basically a fast food job. Exactly. So, so I get to faith promise and, um, my, you know, what, what here's, here's what I'm trying to get at. The biggest lesson that I've learned from working in a job is that your talent will only get you so far. Right. And then you are absolutely capped if you cannot do anything else. Or like learn something or new. Learn or learn how to do something yeah. else. Because yeah. I really got a swift kick in the butt yeah. from from working at Faith Promise because you know, because God had given me these talents and abilities, I'd always been able to kind of just do whatever I wanted with it. And uh, it it capped me. Yeah. I realized like, oh, I'm gonna have to do other things, like lead people yeah. or uh, develop other leaders. Or um, if if you don't mind, we mind me. Sorry, yeah. <laughs> uh, just segue real quick. Like, well, this goes along with it. You know, for me, working in a church is basically like the way that people describe a startup business. That's how a church operates. Totally. I mean, you, on any given week, you might be implementing something completely new. You might be doing away with some old system that's not working. Yep. And you're always developing new people and like 100%. trying to trying to have it grow for yep. different reasons than like a, a startup would do. Sure. Um, but I mean, that's how it works. And it's, that's not just like you went into a bank and you, you're a bank teller now. Right, and you know what you can do to get to you know one of the glass rooms on the sides or something <laughs> like I don't I really yeah. don't know how all that works but a loan officer or something yeah you know you know what you need to do to become a loan officer you know working at church is like constantly changing really yeah some would even say evolving oh <gasps> <gasps> don't say that in church how dare you gasp <laughs> um, oh it totally is yeah you're exactly right there there's there's constant change going on and. Um, no offense to bank tellers, by the way. Like, I, no. I'm not saying, like, they have a crazy hard job, too. <laughs> Dude, I, straight up, like, nothing makes me happier in life than, like, interacting with someone who loves their job. Yeah. And I, dude, the bank that I go to is in Powell. Mm-hmm. And I have not lived in Powell for the last, like, four years of my life. But you still love I it because it's great? I go to that bank, dude, and mm-hmm. it's, it's inconvenient, and I freaking love those people. Yeah. Dude, like, they, they know me. <laughs> they're awesome. They don't call me by my first name, which is Benjamin. Right. They, they call me Asher. Because they bank. know that that's the name you go by. Yeah. And yeah. I know that's in their system, but they care enough sure. to be like, hey, that's that's who you are. Dude, I, yeah. Dude, I've, I've, some, this is, 
It's crazy. I've gone <laughs> I've gone into that bank just to say hi before. No way. I'm not joking with you. It's the bank right across from One Life's uh Powell location. Gosh, that's first, so you. Yeah, Tennessee State Bank. I, I love that about you. I literally will stop in to say <laughs> hi. I love those people, man. Yeah. Great people. If you're looking for a bank, oh my gosh. and they didn't tell me to say this, <laughs> but Tennessee State Bank is killer, bro. And that Powell Banch, Banch? Banch? There's an R after the B that I forgot. <laughs> the Powell Branch is awesome. And the other ones are too. The one in Turkey Creek is really nice. Yeah. Um. But anyways, so I... God, know, what, a, what a rant about bank tellers. That was really... <laughs> I'm glad you brought it up. Really fun. Because <laughs> I've been looking for a reason to plug Tennessee State Bank. <laughs> Um, actually, if I refer somebody, I think I get like a, I, I get like 25 bucks. Oh, there it is. There's the cut coke. But I forgot. I forgot. Yeah. I didn't say it because of the money, but now that you mention it. Yeah. You, you say you forgot. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. But so yeah, the, your, your, your talent will get you so far. And I coasted as far as I could go. And then I realized that I was capped. So the last three and a half years for me really has been learning how to, to buckle down and. Um, I think, I think that there's an element of the type one that, that I had to adopt mm-hmm. because I don't have a very natural drive or motivation to, to get better. So I, gotcha. I had to find like the healthy version of that mentality and, and, and that's an everyday battle for me. Yeah. Um, I, I don't, nat- I'm not naturally motivated, uh, by success. So, so me wanting to get better, I have to find another reason. Right. Because climbing the ladder means nothing to me. I'm not trying to just make it to the top. Yeah. I don't care. Yeah. I couldn't care less about it. Um, so, so I've had to learn how to, to find other ways to motivate myself to become better. And I think that that, that motivation for me has become when I get better at something, I can help other people get better. Yeah. So that's that's my motivation for becoming a better employee at my place of business. And I think that principle applies everywhere. Yeah. Cuz any time that you get better, it is, it is literally an opportunity for others to get better because of the work that you've put in. Not selfishly or or maybe sometimes, but like that's just how it works. So, um Yeah, I so, think I think for some people it is selfishly, but I totally. would definitely relate that like okay, for me, we're <clears throat> Working in a church, like I'll, I'll at any given time have like ten projects going on at once, and I want to do all of them well. You know the whole yep. Enneagram One Improver kind of mentality. But here's where that bites me in a big way. Like, and I realized this just a couple weeks ago. Something I'd been working on before the summer hit um, was doing like music lessons through the church, and I realized that I can't do them as well as the big. Uh, I don't know the basically the goal I had for them to be like I couldn't quite get there, and I just like let it go. Yeah, I was like I've got other things that I'm doing well with and that I'm making improvements on. That's a big step. Yeah, and but (laughs) you know it kind of came back like what I realized is I have to have other people helping me with things like that when I get into that mode of like, well, it's not going to be perfect, so there's no point in doing it. So. I love that. That was one of the biggest things I learned. Slightly different, but... Yeah, no, I, I think that's huge. But I definitely agree with you. For me, it's not for recognition necessarily. Sometimes it is, but sure. it's it's not to like be the best employee. It's to make everything around me better. Yeah. Um, I'm just trying to think of like other little things I've learned. Uh, 
the phrase perception is reality mm-hmm. violates everything that I believe to be true. <laughs> and, and it just is true. Yeah. It sucks. Perception is reality. So I early on, you know, in my job, I, I sort of developed a perception of, oh, Lance doesn't really care. You know, he's just kind of floating around and doing whatever, mm-hmm. which some of that is true. You know, but like I didn't, I didn't need that perception. Yeah, yeah. because I I needed the opposite perception. Right. Um, and and when someone told me that 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 was my perception, it felt like it felt like getting backhanded across the face. Yeah. Because I was like, "What do you mean that I don't care? I do all this stuff." Right. And I was defensive, obviously, because I was offended, and so I was just like, "I do this, I do this, I do this." Like nobody sees all the stuff I'm doing. And the person I was talking to in this one instance was like, well, maybe try try to uh, try to do more of those things when people are watching. And hmm. I was like, why? Feels backwards, right? <laughs> it does. Yeah. And I, I, I was like, man, that's just not my personality. And he was like, it doesn't have to be. Yeah. And I was like, <laughs> you know the you know the meme with the guy with the crazy hair yeah, and yeah. from the History Channel. <laughs> That was me in that moment. I was like, okay. So so then it set me on a journey of how how can I you know, okay, so I have to I had to figure out for myself what are the parts of my character that uh, that are non-negotiable? Mm-hmm. Like this is me no matter what. I'll fight for this. Like this is this is going to be who I am. And then I had to find the other parts of me that's like I can compromise this if I have to in order to either see the greater good or accomplish something or whatever. And I think that's, that's probably something I'll do for the rest of my life. I don't think that that's ever going to be, um, you know, done necessarily. Sure. But, um, so it's just crazy, man. It's like, I, <laughs> I, I, I don't, I don't say this lightly. I, I think that type nines, um, on again, Enneagram, um, I think that the type nine can either be, the greatest employee or the worst employee. Yeah. And there's no in between. Right. So like, because uh, we, we talked about, you know, so the, each Enneagram type has an integration and a disintegration, yeah. which means you, when you're, when you're healthy and growing, you lean towards one type. And then when you're not, you lean towards another type. And I think it's really interesting and also frustrating that for the type nine, the integration is to a type three, mm-hmm. which is very success oriented. Oh, wow. Very driven, very motivated. So a healthy nine could be the greatest employee or leader of any organization in that mode. But when you, when you gravitate to a, a type six, when you're not healthy, you become more, um, more suspicious. Yeah. Or, um, you know, you're, you're craving stability so badly that you don't even know where to look for it. And um, I think that I've, I've certainly seen that to be true at, in, in my job so far. When I when I do when I find motivation, I am very productive, mm-hmm. and I'm very aware, and I'm I'm a lot more organized. And when I when I am way 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 low on motivation, yeah, I I'm like I'm I'm finding every flaw, mm-hmm. and I'm looking for them. Right, I'm looking for reasons to not trust the people I work with, and I will start to, I'll just I'll be so negative that all of a sudden I'm, I'm all look up and I'm, I'm, you know, 10 yards behind where I was the day before. Right. So, you know, learn, I think learning that about yourself for whatever type you are and not even just Enneagram, like knowing yourself 
you know, fi- finding the motivation for what gets you out of bed is what will lead you to success. Yeah, and overcoming like an adverse situation. 100%, which yeah. I've done in the past couple of years. I've, I've overcome several adverse situations, mm-hmm. you know. Um, I'm, I won't mention any specifically here, but just like there's been several things that like it could have stopped me. Right. Dead in my tracks. Yeah. And, or it could have, I, I, I could have, instead of seeing it as an opportunity for, for me to get better or, or something to overcome, I could have seen it as, well, you know what? This is too hard. I'm going to quit. Yeah. I mean, and I want, I, I've wanted to. I have thought in my six a years, of, times. six years of working at a church, like that's crazy. That was something I never wanted to do. Obviously from what I, from what I shared earlier about, totally. you know, overcoming rejection and, and adversity within a church setting. But the thing that's kept me there is that like I've grown so much through each year that I've been there. I'm only going to keep growing. That mentality has made it so much easier for me. That's awesome. But the tough part, <clears throat> you know, for, for Enneagram one, the integration goes to a seven and that means I'm being, really? yeah, it okay. means <laughs> so Becca, our friend Becca. Uh-huh. So <laughs> she and I talked about that a couple of weeks ago. Um, cause I was having a very seven day when, when she and I were in the same place at the, at a show in town and I was like, man, I'm, I'm having the best time talking to everybody. I'm being spontaneous. Like I'm just here living in the moment. Yeah. Um, and that's great for, for workflow for, you know, bringing up the morale of my employees and stuff like 100%. that. But my disintegration goes toward a four and that's where it's like, I want to be super melancholy Nothing against fours is just the the unhealthy side of fours. Like I'm really melancholy, and no one understands me. No one understands yep. me. That is the most bad four thing to say. Yeah, <laughs> but it's also the most bad a four thing to say. Sure, because it's like you're unique. You're so cool. One hundred percent. People want to people want to be like you. And and the type four inspires like so much creativity. Yeah, from from within themselves and for others. Right, which is really interesting. Yeah, that's cool. So I, I definitely feel you on the on the work thing. Yeah, I'm gonna throw out this one one more little nugget of, about the enneagram. I I can't stop talking about it. I, we might as well just call this the enneagram it's too, podcast. It's too good for like just self improvement, self awareness. Not yeah. not necessarily self improvement. The the craziest thing about well, maybe not the craziest thing. One of the crazy things about the enneagram that I've learned so far is that it has a, allowed me to. Um, let me put this caveat out there. I'm a very compassionate person, mm-hmm. like just naturally. And uh, that's a type nine thing for sure. I'm very empathetic. I'm very compassionate. And the learning the Enneagram has allowed me to be compassionate even further. Yeah. To the extent that like, I know, I now know better how to care for someone. And I think that that is that is a huge motivator for me. Right. When I know how to care for somebody and how to love them and how to interact with them in a way that's positive for them, mm-hmm. like that, I mean, that just changes my freaking world. Yeah. And um, so that's something that I've learned just listening to all these podcasts and reading all these things about the Enneagram is it allows you to have compassion on people when you understand why they're making the decisions they're making or why they are approaching things the way they're approaching them instead of getting frustrated with that person and not understanding why can't we just get along? Yeah. 
it allows you to have a meaningful conversation where it's okay for both parties to say, this is why I feel that way. And I think that that makes it easier to find common ground. Right. And I think I mentioned this, I don't know if I said this on the podcast or not, but my the guy that at Faith Promise who is my boss is a type 8, mm-hmm. which if you do know anything about the Enneagram, <laughs> there probably couldn't be a more different type from the 9 than the 8. Right. Because the 8 is like, can can be domineering or the life of the party right or it's my way or the highway like this is it and um you know they're they're very motivated and and go 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 and it can be nauseating for somebody with my personality just like oh gosh calm down right but the conversations that i've had with my boss over the last few weeks as we've both been reading about the enneagram and specifically about each other's types do i mean we've we we're we're jiving and right. and like you know, I've, I, we've always got along. I, I've known Micah for several years now, and um, I mean, I can get along with anybody. Really, it isn't not that difficult for me. But um, the the conversations and the way that we've been able to work together for the last like month, even yeah, is like we're we're operating on on all cylinders. That's awesome. It's yeah, it, it's great. That and must I, be why he won't go to lunch with me because I've been trying. <laughs> I've also been a real uh, d bag to him on Instagram, <laughs> and I understand that it's because. He totally, anyway. but he, he he does not see it that way. I don't think he. I don't think you can. You can't hurt his feelings. He doesn't have them. Yeah, I don't think I could either. I don't think he would ever take me seriously. Like sure. Yeah, but um, but what a jerk. Yeah, for not right. hanging out with me. Let's, <laughs> uh, let's take a quick break and then uh, we'll wrap it up. Well, hey, that wraps it up. For our episode this week, talking about rejection, adversity, and um, what was the other thing, Lance? Oh, rising above. Rising above. Those sorts of things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That was super fun. Um, if you all have thoughts about anything that we talked about, and we we went down a lot of rabbit trails today, so <laughs> I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you had fun following along. But, you know, if you've experienced things like that, we definitely want to hear from you. You can... Um, Check us out on Facebook. It's just these are words. Um, check out our Instagram as well. You can email us at these are words at gmail.com. That's words with a Z, unfortunately. <laughs> so these are W O R D Z at right. gmail.com. Yes, they are. You can write into us. Um, and check us out on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a five star review if you like what you hear. And if you don't like what you hear, I'm not sure why you would have kept listening to this point necessarily. <laughs> but you can also write in instead, and Logan will talk you into why you should like us. That's true. He's pretty good at that. I mean, be be prepared. Like, this is some Darren Brown, like, illusionist kind of stuff. <laughs> He's going to talk you into it. He's already working on you right now. Did you watch his special on Netflix? Uh, yeah, it's real oh, good. Oh, my God. It's insane. <laughs> Do you think it's real, though? I want to believe that all of it is real. real. Oh, okay. Of course I think it's real. <laughs> I don't say that lightly. I think it's real. I, I think just, that there are people in the world that are suggestible enough to to do crazy things like that. And yeah. I, I think I think he's really good at what he does. I 100% am behind you on that. I have a hard time believing that they would consent to, like on the back end, that they would consent to like being put on a show that's yeah. going to be on Netflix. Like, yeah. I wouldn't want to be seen as that kind of. I'm a, assuming they made money. A dum dum. Oh, okay. And maybe even more powerful than suggestion is money. Whoa. 
Speaking of, I'm just kidding. We're not on like <laughs> Patreon or anything. I kind of wish we were because you could donate or something. We'll look into it. Yeah. Um. Cool. But yeah. Oh, last thing. Whoops. Had a brain fart. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna. I, I'll probably cut that. Maybe. Please I don't. don't. Know. <laughs> Keep it. We are gonna be posting all of our episodes up to this point, and this is episode 36 with a couple extras in there. So you know, we've technically done actually like 40 episodes. Yeah. We had one that was part one and part two, so that's not bad for a a full like this is. Rounding out our first season, we'll start season two here soon, or we'll mm-hmm. just keep talking mm-hmm. about it, and it'll never happen. <laughs> anyway, I ramble. We're going to be posting all of our episodes on YouTube, so if you know of someone who, for whatever reason, likes to listen and watch things on YouTube, um, let them know about that. We'll put them into a playlist to make it easy, and one day we'll have some video for you. Are you going to play the Night Colors stuff? Night Colors stuff? Yeah. For this episode? Yeah. I haven't talked to him yet. Okay. But I was going to soonish. Throw him a plug. But I forgot that we had all talked about it. I thought I had only mentioned it to Logan and then I was going to mention it to you, but I'm all in. Cool. Cool. Let's do it. Yeah. Yeah. We'll have some new music. We'll do that starting, uh, starting up season two. Cool. For sure. All right, then. It's been a good one. Indeed. You have a cat shirt on and, uh, yeah. Every once in a while, the way it kind of wrinkles and falls over itself, depending on how you're sitting, makes the cat look cross eyed. <laughs> And it has made me sad multiple times throughout this past couple hours of recording. (laughs) (laughs) Our dear friend Tucker McGinnis bought this shirt for me in Chinatown in New York. And uh, he said, I bought this shirt for you because one shirt was $14, but two shirts was $20. So it was too good of a deal (laughs) to pass up. So I bought you this shirt. And it's literally, imagine a shirt with just a cat that takes up like the entire shirt. That's pretty much what this is. It's a giant cat. But there's something maniacal about this cat. Wouldn't you agree? It does. Its mouth looks sinister. I actually hadn't seen its mouth until right now. It's also about to fight you. It's got its paws up like they're fists. So, yeah. Yeah, So don't mess with me, dude. Dangerous cat. It's a great band name. (laughs) Me, wow. (laughs) Shut it off.